Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Venture Podcast. Uh, my name is Dan Wills. I'm the host here at Venture Podcast. I'm also the lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And uh, you know what? I just want to start off today's episode with just um, just wanting to let you guys know I'm praying for you guys. Uh, we have people listening from all over the, the country and and I don't know what your situation is when it comes to this this COVID-19 virus situation that's going on right now, but I know a lot of different states and countries are in different um, aspects of it, different modes when it comes to this virus and uh, different things are going on with each. So I just want to let you guys know I'm praying for you guys and uh, letting you guys know I love you uh, and uh, just uh, know God's going to do some crazy, amazing, wonderful things even through uh, this whole uh, scenario that's going on. So uh, with that said, uh, I don't want to jump into because our, our um, message series um, because we're wrapping it up. Uh, we're wrapping up our series called Outlasters. Uh, and so if you've missed some previous weeks, I encourage you to go back and uh, listen to uh, the previous episodes, whether it's through iTunes or uh, Spotify or or even our own website, which is ChandlerAcresChurch.com. And if you go to backslash podcast, you can find it there as well too. So I uh, encourage you to go back and uh, catch up with us as we close out this series. Uh, we've been talking about how do we give our faith? How do we pass it along to the next generation? And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about intentional giving, okay? Intentional giving. It's really interesting how many things that we can be intentional about and, and how many things we we're actually not intentional about. For example, Many people I know are intentional about planning for their wedding, uh, but they're not intentional about planning for a marriage. And I don't know about you, but that's the way it was uh, where we were, okay? It was like hours and hours and hours go into the 45-minute event, but we didn't know about what happened after we actually got married. The same is true when you're pregnant, maybe having your first child. Uh, We were intentional about naming our first child. We were intentional about designing the room. I'd even know they had themes back then, right? But evidently, some baby rooms have themes, and ours was happened to be Noah's Ark. And we had matching sheets that matched the comforters, that matched the lampshades and and everything else. I didn't even know there was such thing as theme lampshades. It was just crazy stuff, right? Well, evidently, uh, there was, and so we created this. And we were very intentional about planning the room, but we didn't think about being parents, right? And then the kid was born. You know, my daughter was born, and it was it was just an eye opener. Okay, it's interesting how we're intentional about some things, but not intentional often about things that matter even more. So, I want to talk today about intentionally giving the next generation three things to set them up for for spiritual success. Okay, if we do not intentionally give them the right things, we will accidentally give them the wrong things. 
So I want to start with three exodome messages we give as we actually try to help in a way that hurts, okay? And then we're going to look at the three right things to give. So if you're taking any kind of notes, uh, we're going to give uh, giving any hurt in three different ways, okay? We're going to talk about those. And I don't know if you're going to see yourself in these challenges, but I see them, see myself in them. And, and as a parent and a mentor to the next generation, that's how I see it working out. So the first thing is we give them praise they don't deserve. We do that a lot. We give them praise they don't deserve. We say, great job. You are the best in the world. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And what we're doing is when we overpraise them is we're, we're giving them an inaccurate view of reality. If you do not know what I'm talking about, watch the tryouts of American Idol. And you will see that somewhere, somebody told somebody something that was not true about their singing, okay? You're the best of the best of the best, and it wasn't really true. And after a while, we train them that they can only perform for praise, and ultimately, they do not trust us because we told them things that were not true. You know, we're trying to help them, but we give them too much praise, praise they do not deserve. The second thing is we give them things they didn't earn, okay? We talked a little bit about this in week one, and so I want to revisit again because it's such a big issue, Okay. For example, your kids are having a birthday and, and birthdays are getting a little out of control in some parts of the world. Okay. You're on Pinterest and you decide I've got to have the perfect Pinterest birthday party. And so you bring the ponies in, the moon bounce, the DJ, the magicians and the flamethrowers because your precious child only turns two once and you want to make sure this is a birthday they will remember. Why flamethrowers? I have no idea, but people do that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> when they turn 10 or 12 or 14 or whatever the age is, they get a $300 mobile device and it's with unlimited data, right? And then when they turn 16, we give them their own car that they didn't work for. That is often better than their teacher's cars at the schools they attend. We end up giving them things that they did not earn, and therefore they unintentionally inherit a spirit of entitlement. The third problem is we give them freedoms they can't handle. We say to our 8-year-old or our 10-year-old or whatever age they are, you, you can play any video game you want. You can have unlimited access to the Internet on your tablet or your mobile device or your computer. Uh, and then we send the 15-year-old daughter on a card date with a walking hormone and say, have fun, because I'm not sending my 15-year-old daughter on a card date with any mail. Okay? We give them freedoms they aren't mature enough to handle. And without meaning to, we unintentionally give the next generation things that hurt them. Therefore, we're not going to be accidental. We're going to give intentionally. You're never going to see a 15-year-old accidentally become righteous. Okay? No 15-year-old comes up and says, ah, I didn't mean to. I was just walking to school and I fell into righteousness. I mean, I don't know what happened. I just tripped and I became holy. We're never going to see that, okay? So we're going to be intentional about what we give the next generation to help set them up for uh, spiritual success, okay? We cannot control their decisions, but we can control what we expose them to, and we can control what we give, the, to, give to them. And so from Deuteronomy 6, I want to show you three things we're going to intentionally give the next generation. So let's, let's read our text first. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Here's what it, here's what it says. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. 
Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay? The first one uh, is so important. Number one, we must give them a community worth having. Okay? We must give them a community worth having. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6 says this. says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel. In other words, this is our national faith. Okay? This is not an individual faith. This is what we as a community, as a nation, believe. And so what I love about the Old Testament families is they are they are very different than families in my uh, world today, in our world today, okay? Basically, a family unit today is kind of like us four and no more, okay? It's, it's me if I'm married and my direct children. But an Old Testament family was, was much broader than that. An Old Testament family was literally a community of people that would extend not just to the husband and wife and children, but the workers that served in the home. The adult siblings, their, their children, their grandchildren. A family community could be 80, 90, uh, even 100 people. And they would even take other people in who were not necessarily blood-related. And there was a literal community of people centered around faith in the one true God. And there was strength in this community. Communities have to be intentional because of a faith-filled community does not happen by accident. Okay? You cannot send your kids into the world, into school, and just assume that there's going to be this tight-knit, strong, faith-filled community that, that just naturally assembles. Okay? In fact, what you have to assume is the exact opposite because culture now devalues community. Okay? Now community is more than as a, a, a thought of as an online and, and social media, which is important because it can enhance face-to-face community, but it can never, ever replace the intimacy of face-to-face community of faith, right? More so than ever today in this, in this time, right? And in culture today, it actually celebrates independence way above community. In, in fact, for many parents today, what they're going to say is, well, we just want our kids to be independent, right? I mean, we don't want them to depend on anybody. We don't want them to need anything. Independence is one of the highest goals, but, but you need to understand this. To be independent is to be distinctly non-Christian. Okay, I want to say it again. To be independent is to be distinctly non-Christian because God created us to depend on him, and he created us to depend on others as the family of Christ, right? Scripture is rich with teachings of how we should treat one another. In, in fact, the, the richest part of a Christian faith is not an individual relationship with God, but a community of gathered believers, strengthening, strengthening one another, experiencing the presence of God. Scripture teaches us to love one another. Scripture teaches us to encourage one another. The Bible teaches us to become devoted to one another, accept one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another, be, be kind and compassionate to one another, submit to one another, pray for one another, and greet each other with a holy kiss or <laughs> a, a fist bump or an elbow bump at these times, right? We are to love and to do life with one another. Do not miss the power of this. We, when you intentionally, and this takes time and this takes effort and this takes prayer, but when you intentionally create a spiritual community for your kids, everything changes. When someone tries to make fun of them and, and say, well, wait, wait, you don't drink, you don't, you don't party. I mean, you're 15. I mean, everybody gets drunk and high and suddenly your kid can say, well, actually, it's not just me. We, we don't do this. Or, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're, you're saving yourself for marriage? I mean, isn't that the most out of dated thinking I can have, you know, that's ever out there. And they can say, actually, I'm doing, I'm not doing this uh, as much as we are not doing this. We're seeking a higher power. 
And they might say, well, wait, 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 you believe in God? I mean, you actually believe that Jesus stuff and your kids can respond with actually what you need to understand is there's billions of us who for centuries have believed and worshiped and served God. And here's the key. Suddenly it's not just this is my faith and I've got to go off to college or whatever and try to stand for my faith. You see, it's not my faith. Guess what it is? It's our faith. It's our faith. And some of you are going, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I mean, what am I going to do? I don't even know their friends. How is this going to happen? Well, this is how, okay? The church stands ready to be that community. That's why we don't go to church. We are the church. And when you pour your life into it and you have a community of worth having, and the next generation never has to be like, oh my gosh, they're going to criticize me for my faith. No, we stand together because this is our faith, and there are a lot of us, and we are stronger than you think, and we encourage one another, and we pray for one another, and we stand by one another. What do we need to do? We need to intentionally give them a community worth having. The second thing is we want to give them a standard worth achieving. A standard worth achieving, okay? We want to give them something higher to shoot for and to live for. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Notice it does not say with part of your heart, or when convenient, or when your friends are making fun of us. or But, this, but it's this full-on, radical, 100% faith-filled, passionate commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a standard worth achieving. Now, what I'm about to tell you, some of you is going to be a shock to you, but, but in the Old Testament, a child would actually memorize not just a verse of the Bible or not just a chapter of the Bible, but they would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament all by the time they were 12. Why would they do this? I will tell you who does this, okay? Children who have been told it's possible to do that. When you raise the standard, it will shock you what they can actually achieve. The problem is today we have so dumbed down the standards in a way that under-challenges the emerging generation that I'm convinced that they're almost intuitively insulted by it and are kind of like, come on, give, give, me, give me something better. In fact, as this is going, this is just going to sound crazy, 100 years ago there was no such thing as teenagers. Did you guys know that? There were no teenagers. In fact, the word teenager wasn't really even conceptualized until after the Great Depression and was used for the first time by Reader's Digest in 1941. And before that, for generations upon generations, guess what there was? There were children, and there were adults. There were children, and then there were adults. Paul says this. He talks about this. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I talked like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He didn't say, when I become a teenager, I look like a man, but I acted like a child. But what we've done is we've essentially created a category of adults that have, for the most part, and this isn't true everywhere, but for the most part in our culture, they have rights with very few responsibilities. In fact, there's a new word that's been created to, to just to describe the problem in society. It's the word kidults. It's a real word, kidults, K-I-D-D-U-L-T-S. It basically describes a 20-year-old that acts like a 14-year-old. They're having so much fun that they're not maturing into adulthood. Or some of them are so afraid of responsibilities that they're absolutely comfortable staying right where they are. And I'm convinced with all my heart there's a generation of those who are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 who says, you give me something to shoot for and you're going to see something you didn't even know I had in me. You see, you will never get more than you ask for. It'll be rare you get more than you ask for, that's for sure. 
Think about Jesus. He didn't lower the standard in the New Testament. Jesus raised the standard. In the Old Testament, it was do not murder. And Jesus says, oh, you think that's good. How about this? Don't even hate. Old Testament, don't commit adultery. Jesus raises the standard. He says, don't even look lustfully. It's, it is rare that you will get any more than you ask for. If you challenge the emerging generation, I believe with all my heart, you will be shocked what is lying dormant within them, waiting for the chance to come out. So you're trying to build a work ethic in them. Okay, maybe you should get a part-time job, you tell them, part-time job. That's a good place to start. But what if you said, maybe together we're going to work to open a business? They can do it. Lawnmower and some flyers, and suddenly your 15-year-old doesn't have a part-time job, but he has a business. And something is growing within the 15-year-old. Instead of saying, hey, when you go to school, try to do good and be popular, raise your standards a little bit and say, hey, when you go to school, you are the light of the world. You have Christ dwelling within you. I've seen you grow spiritually. You can impact your classmates. You can impact your teammates. You can impact your teachers because I see a minister inside of you. You're raising the standards. Instead of saying, hey, don't drink and drive, what if you say, hey, guess what? It's still illegal to drink. (laughs) Don't forget that. There's a higher standard. Let's do not let's let's not do that at all. Let's let's rise and have a higher standard in the way that we live. Okay, instead of saying, "Hey, let's go to church when we can," you know, when you don't say up too late for a game, or it's too pretty out when we want to enjoy it, or it's too rainy so we can sleep in, or we're not too tired and overwhelmed. Instead, let's just not say, "Hey, let's 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 go to the church." Let's say, "Hey, you're 12, you're 16, you are the church. We don't just go, but when we're there, we serve because this is our community." Instead of saying, hey, kids are going to be kids, so uh, try not to get pregnant. You know, if you need anything, you know, just just, just tell me and, and, and we'll get you what you need. Just be careful when you're out there. What if we raise the standard and said, hey, instead of trying not to get pregnant, what about trying to protect your, uh, your purity? Not just physically, but in your heart and in your mind. And a lot of you are going to go, oh, that's, a, that's an old-fashioned way of thinking, Listen, you have no idea what this generation is capable of when you raise the standards. There is a dormant passion within them wanting to come out saying, believe in me, ask me to do something, let me loose. And instead of going, well, you're a teenager, just just sit at home and play video games. There's nothing in you. Your real life will start later on. We want to give them a standard worth achieving. Say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You're not the Christians of tomorrow. You are the Christians of today, and your life matters for the glory of God today. You have no idea how much God has put in that 14-year-old until you raise the standard and you see what can actually emerge. So what are we going to do? We're going to intentionally give to the next generation because if we don't intentionally give the right things, we're going to accidentally, with good intentions, give the wrong things. So what are we going to give? We're going to give a community worth having. We're going to give a standard worth achieving. And the third thing is this. We're going to give a faith worth reproducing. Okay, We're going to give the next generation a faith worth reproducing. Deuteronomy 6-7 is talking about the commands of God. We're going to impress them on our children. Notice this isn't preaching to them, making them feel guilty. But in the way that we live, we're going to model this for our children. We're going to impress them on them. How are we going to do this? We're going to talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down when you get up. That's what scripture says. What does this mean for a me? Well, this implies that you will actually be with your children in the evenings, okay? We're going to design our lives to where we engaged with them. We're, we're going to talk about it at dinner time. We're going to talk about it at bedtime. And when we pray with them, we're going to talk about it in the morning. We're going to send them off to school being prayed for wherever they go. 
We're going to talk about it on the way to soccer practice. We're going to be talking about it on the way to dance, okay? We're going to show our faith in everything we do. And here's the key. Above all else, if it's not real to you, chances go way down for it being real to them because the next generation, they can see through a fake faster than you can say it. Listen, authenticity matters so much to them. You don't try to impress them. You don't try to be cool. You're not trying to be their buddy going, buddy, oh, come on here, buddy, buddy, buddy. Let's, let's hang out, man. Let's hang out. Yeah, we're going to have so much fun together. And that's not what you need to do. Listen to me. Authenticity trumps cool every time. Every single time, authenticity trumps cool. You live it. When they see you live it and they see you faithful to the things that you say, then they're going to want it. But if you're hypocritical, they're going to turn and run so fast you won't even be able to stop them before they were out the door, okay? They can smell a fake. Literally, they can smell a fake. You start faking, they're going to do this. What is that? Who faked? You know, they will see right through it, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're, we are going to give them a faith worth reproducing. Here's the bottom line. If you want them to be grounded in God's word, they need to see you seeking God in his word. If you want them to be people of prayer, then you need to see, they need to see you consistently seeking God in prayer. And if you want them to share their faith wherever they go, they need to see you sharing your faith and being a light in this world. And if you want them valuing the corporate worship of God and using their gifts in and through the church, then they need to see that the worship of God and service to him and through the church is a priority to you. If you want them to be good stewards, then you need to live within your means. If you want them to be generous, they need to see you being generous to the church and to the needs of this world. If you want them to be fully devoted followers of Christ, then you can never, ever be perfect. And they're not looking for perfection, but they're looking for the one who's being perfected. And you want them to see you calling out on God, and you want them to see you depending on God when things are difficult. You want them to see you turning to God and trusting him when things are not going your way. You want them to seeing you, see them, seeing you being over empowered by God is what I want to say, making it through the trials in life. You want to let them see you being comforted by the Holy Spirit when you are down and explain that to them. Oh, look at what God is doing in my life. And if and you don't just shove it down their throats because they will reject that. We know that. But you want them to look at you and say, I want a faith like that. I want to know God like that. I want to be used by God like that. We want to give them a faith worth reproducing. Okay. What you need to understand is that that I don't always feel like that I'm that faithful to God, okay? And I didn't, I don't not, I do not, I want to say it that way, I do not feel like I'm the best dad in the world, okay? I, I feel like I fail so often. I feel like I preach this stuff going, ooh, that's good. Now if I just figure out how to live it, that's the truth, okay? And so what you need to hear is, I'm not all, it's not always clean at our house, okay? I, I get overwhelmed, I get stressed, I get grumpy, I get distracted, I get down, I get discouraged, I get attacked, I feel angry, and on and on and on and on. But the bottom line is, we've been trying to give, give the right things, and with the help of God, even in a, a very imperfect environment, God is doing something really special. So you don't beat yourself up and go, oh, what was that, what was that first thing? Uh, a community, oh yeah, I don't remember where to start. Oh, forget this. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do that. No, you don't do that. You say, you know what? With God's help, we can do this, and we can start right where we are, and we can be more plugged into church, okay? And I can raise the standard a little bit. I can ask for a little bit more, and I can pull some more out of them. And you know what? I can make or take my faith a little more seriously. And maybe as I do, they're going to take it a little more seriously as well. 
because we are not just called to live and die, but we are called to pass something significant on to the next generation. And the good news is we don't just do that individually, but we do that corporately. You see, we are the church. This is not my faith, and this is not your faith. This is our faith, and this is not my God, and this is not your God. This is our God, and these are not just my children or your children. These are our children. These are children of the church, and as the body of Christ, we come together, and with his help, we can expose them to the things that will help them find a first-generation faith in Christ. And although we will not be perfect, we can intentionally give them those things that will help set them up for spiritual success. And when they do well, we're going to give God all the credit because he is the one who deserves it. We will not simply live and die with very little lasting. We will be outlasters, passing our faith generously and righteously to the next generation and the generations to come. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, this series. I really do. I hope you enjoyed Outlasters, and I hope you will strive to be an Outlaster. Next week, we start a new two-week series called Two Together, okay? And so I hope you'll join us. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.